Welcome to the Speakings Podcast. My name is Sandra. I'm a writer and philosopher in training as I'm currently a PhD student. And in these episodes, I speak about philosophical and spiritual topics in a mainly unscripted way, as I hope to capture some of the dynamism of thought that philosophers have to really wrestle with each idea, taking them seriously. And I hope you do the same as I present these ideas to you. You can leave reviews or email me to let me know what you think. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. I had planned tentatively for today's episode to be on the topic of how to be a woman in a world that still defines women almost exclusively in relation to men. And there's so many subtle ways that this occurs and more obvious ways that it occurs. But nowadays it's more subtle. You know, I see philosophy as being simply a a path towards greater freedom. I think when we get caught in particular frameworks, we're not able to see alternatives to the lives that we are living. We're not able to see that there's even an otherwise Because we begin to think that our cultural ideologies are simply reality. The frameworks that we use to organize our lives become invisible to us. And I see the task of the philosopher as unpeeling those frameworks, taking off those lenses, showing people that there are so many more ways to see and be in the world. I saw Barbie today, the film, in the expectation that that film might sort of add some supplementary material to what I was already thinking. And I was disappointed. I was disappointed in the film. Um, And I I don't know if I'm the only one. Um, I very much expected to like it. I feel like I'm the audience that it would be targeting or I'm the most amenable audience to its message. I am very much a feminist. I grew up in an extremely patriarchal environment and always felt uncomfortable with it and slowly over time learned to disentangle myself from its notions and really begin to see how it infiltrates much of our society in more or less subtle ways. So I was very amenable to the message, and yet, seeing the film, I couldn't help but think that maybe, maybe this film is doing more harm than good for this conversation. (sighs) Again, it's hard to speak with any nuance on these topics in this society in which we are so divided. I don't want to be aligned with any any rhetoric based on hatred or fear. And that's certainly not my motivation in critiquing this film. My motivation is purely on its aesthetic merits. (laughs) And I think this is best illustrated by ideas that I've pondered for a while. We talk about virtual reality a lot lately, so it got me thinking about earlier forms of virtual reality. 
I think one of the earliest virtual realities that we created was stories. A story is an, is an abstract entity that actually doesn't exist in the empirical world, right? I wrote about the impossibility of discovering the structure of the story in the empirical world. And by empirical, I just mean the world of direct experience, let's say. In writing this, I mentioned that the finitude on either side, the finitude of the beginning and of the end, the beginning of a human life, the end of a human life, the beginning of a story, the end of a story, cannot be found in the empirical world. This is goes right to the root of why the abortion debates that begin with when does life begin can never find an adequate conclusion. Your mother's fetus developed all six million of her eggs before emerging from your grandmother's womb. Did life begin there? Did your life begin in your grandmother's womb or before that or before that? It's an infinite regress. There's no hard beginning of anything. You can use any example you want. And I wrote, as for endings, even the corpse is a false idol of completion. We die a little every day, no one throwing a funeral. When we mourn the corpse, we mourn the person's lifelong deaths and the continual process afterwards. No one will follow the last flake of your cremated body. No one will grasp for the smoke, for even these are not yours. The earth recycles everything, and recycling knows no finitude. So I'm basically getting at the point that stories cannot be found in the empirical world. They are a version of virtual reality. Now, as long as we live in a, in a world in which the self is a story, and that's another a topic for another podcast episode, but the self is also a kind of virtual reality. It doesn't really exist in our experience. It's a narrative we tell ourselves and begin to believe. So the self is a virtual reality. All of our stories are virtual realities. Now, as long as we live in a world that tells stories, then having a multiplicity of stories can mean freedom. How beautiful are the life-affirming narratives of someone who finds a book, who grows up in poverty or in the ghetto or in terrible experiences, and they read a book about someone who overcame that, someone who came perhaps from their background or perhaps not, but the power of imagination took them to an alternative, and it opened up worlds that they never knew existed or could exist. Reading is incredibly powerful. Film is incredibly powerful. Art is incredibly powerful for paving new paths of possibility into the world. And so, forgive me if I've become a bit more of a stickler in my belief that art has to do something with the future. It has to pave new possibilities. It has to offer something new. It has to offer an added element of nuance to a conversation. Okay, so storytelling is the first kind of virtual reality. And then I think ideologies are a second-order virtual reality. An ideology might utilize various stories in order to capture the imagination of people who believe the precepts of its system of belief. So it will utilize stories, but those stories will be very much subsumed under the 
domineering logic of that ideology. Anything can really be an ideology. So I don't know if you've seen the film God's Not Dead. It's pretty awful. Um, It's basically a Christian apologetic movie, and the characters are all very flat and one-sided, and the atheist philosophy professor, which I also find very humorous because it's always the philosophy professor who's the devil, <laughs> the atheist philosophy professor is the one who um, you know, says God is dead, using the Nietzschean phrase, which, sorry, it's just a complete misinterpretation of Nietzsche to begin with. Um, then the student um, stands up to him and says, no, God is not dead. And he gets all the other students to do the same. And it teaches various messages. It teaches that the university is against Christian students, for one. And the atheist professor, you see a bit of his life, and you see that he's a pretty terrible person, um, as you must be if you're an atheist, so the message goes. <laughs> and in the end, he also, um, spoilers ahead if you plan on seeing it or haven't seen it, he dies. And I think he dies having accepted Jesus, so that's like a little bit of a happy ending, but it really just feels like a punishment. So very simplistic storyline. I'm not going to say that Barbie is that level of messaging. It was a really well-made film. Um, But I do think it's interesting that, you know, critics, there are no critics who say that God's Not Dead is a good film. I mean, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes, I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's a really low percentage of positive reviews. Whereas Barbie has, you know, universally high reviews. And yet I think it is, I think Barbie does fall under the rubric of a message film. And what is a message film? Well, under the way that I've described stories and ideologies, a message film to me is that which participates in an ideology that actually kind of swallows the story whole. All right. So, There's so many different kinds of ideologies, as I mentioned. The ones that are most common in America today are more conservative ideologies, plural. There's various under that that heading, various ideologies under that heading. And then liberal ideologies, plural, under the liberal um, kind of political or personality-leaning, such a broad term these days. So... Those are the most common ideologies that we hear about um, in the American world, in the in the United States at least. And you know, this film preached an ideology that I happen to agree with. <laughs> I happen to agree. There was not a single thing in Barbie that I disagreed with. I didn't disagree with any of it. Um, women expressed their experiences under patriarchy, how it's impossible to be a woman because no matter what you do, it's never good enough. America Ferreira, who gave an excellent speech in the film, she's amazing. She's an incredible actress. I loved, I loved her emotion and, and her acting in general was excellent. Um, and just to say a few more nice things about the film, I also thought it was pretty funny. Um, I did think it was a little bit difficult to find it purely entertaining because, again, it did feel like it was trying to cram a women's studies course into something that was mildly entertaining, and it really didn't do either excellently. It did both okay. Um, you know, it was it was a little bit funny, but it wasn't, like, super entertaining or super funny. Um, and as far as the messaging went... I feel like you could have gotten the same messages from a 10-minute YouTube video on the the patriarchy or on feminism. 
And at least when I watched the film, I thought, okay, none of this is new to me. (laughs) Um, If a man or a woman happens to walk into the theater with an open mind and watch this film, and a lot of it is new to them, then maybe it would make a difference to their worldview. But I actually wonder if it wouldn't, because it does come across quite aggressive. And let me tell you, aggression is not a bad thing in the world of political action. Aggression is not a bad thing if you're writing a revolutionary tract, if you are um, you know, making a TikTok, TikTok video or YouTube video, and you're just you know, tearing apart the patriarchy. That's not a bad thing. I don't think, however, it's the purview of great art. And that's not to say that great art can't be political. I actually think the personal is always political. Some of the best films ever made are deeply real, and yet they have a very strong political message without even necessarily trying to. So this is what I mean by that. I mentioned that there's these two different orders of virtual reality, right? And what a message film does is it it doesn't start with the messy reality, a complex story, a character in all of their complexities. It starts with a message. It starts with patriarchy is bad, for example. And then it finds storytelling elements or particular characters that can be subordinated to that message. Now, my problem with this is it's a necessarily rigid and hierarchical and even tyrannical framework. Now, you could say it's an aesthetic framework, so it's not as bad as being political, like a political tyrannical framework, right? But I still think it participates in the very patriarchal logic that it is trying to disagree with. There's nothing more rigid and tyrannical than patriarchy, than white supremacy, than all of these inheritances that we are dealing with today. These are hierarchical, tyrannical systems that try to subsume all other logics under one unifying logic. And so when I see a message film, in particular a message film from a liberal leaning that is participating in that same aesthetic logic, I think this cannot be good politically. Because although the message might get through some people's brains, though I honestly doubt it, I think it's one of those things where you're preaching to the choir or you're just making people angry because there's not enough complexity there to get people emotionally invested in the characters and then see how their story evolves and become empathetically attuned to their life situation. That's not the story that we're being told. Rather, we're being preached to. This is difficult because I feel like Greta Gerwig is a brilliant human and an excellent director. And yet this film felt like it was trying to be brainy instead of trying to be true. I'm going to say that Americans are pretty bad at this, and I think it's true. Especially in today's age, we mistake information for knowledge and even for wisdom. I think these exist as different stages of wisdom. If you really understand a concept like feminism, like patriarchy, You don't present it as a series of facts. You can present it that way, 
But as an artist, that is not your role. Your role is to present it in its messy living reality. And you can do so because you understand it on such a deep and visceral level that you know how your character's story must unfold. And the character takes over because in every great work of literature or film, the characters have a life of their own. And that's a sign that you let the story be rather than that you try to impose your intellectual framework over a story and subordinate its messiness to your to your message. So you see this sometimes in literature as well, in um, modern literature, that literary novels that are written by acclaimed authors. There's all these smatterings of theory and philosophy, and yet there's so little depth in the characters and in the living reality of these philosophies. I've seen some some writers, they'll just throw around Wittgenstein, right? And this is not at all to, to claim that you have to be a professional philosopher in order to utilize these ideas, but it's very clear that they are doing so in order to appeal to your intellectual mind and convince you that they are intelligent and that they have authority. I'm not saying that's what Greta Gerwig is doing at all, but what I'm saying is that this intellectual urge in American literature and filmmaking, I think, comes from this misunderstanding of the relationship between wisdom, truth, and knowledge, information. The job of the novelist, the filmmaker, the artist, is to capture truth, and they do that with wisdom, the deep-seated knowing of the way things are. And they understand that their intellectual frameworks and paradigms are useful only as tools of translation. Your job is not to utilize those frameworks as ends in themselves. They are only languages used to translate a reality that is always in excess of those frameworks that can't be captured fully by a single paradigm. In the book that I'm writing now, I wrote in the introduction, beliefs are the plastic of the mind, artificially impermeable, resistant to their natural growth and decomposition. The mind translates the fleshy imminence of reality into 10,000 forms, but the body persists as the ineffable source of language, culture, and reason. So I guess my critique of this film, put most simply, is that it felt plastic. Not to be cliche, but it felt plastic. It felt like it was organized from the top down, from an intellectual framework. And it was a necessarily dominating relationship towards the story and towards the viewers. Didn't feel feel like I could participate and gather my own conclusions and use my own brain. This is another thing that's really rampant in American cinema is this lack of nuance and subtlety. This this assumption that the audience is going to be too stupid to catch on to it if you're not extraordinarily clear about the message you're trying to instill or distill in the film. 
And maybe a lot of the audience is, okay? Maybe we haven't grown intellectually sophisticated enough to, you know, break down the most nuanced films. Maybe that's true. But it doesn't matter. Treat your audience with respect. And they will learn. They will learn. And as a culture, we will grow. If we are treated with subtlety and respect, that we can interpret things. We can participate in the creation of the film through our interpretation. That's what humans really want from an aesthetic experience. They want not to be the creator of the work of art, like some postmodern art tries to do, but we do want to be participants in its creation of meaning. We need better stories as women. We do. Because what a woman really wants is to be a human being. (laughs) At least that's what I want. I think that's what most women want. We don't want to be a pawn in an ideological schema. We just want to be treated as full human beings. And that does take intellectual paradigm shifts. The intellectual is important here. That's why I study philosophy. Because it shows us how to see the pernicious logic of the patriarchy. But the logic is not in your face like it is in in the Barbie movie, right? Where she goes to the real world and it's just so over-the-top obvious the moment she walks in. And it's so over-the-top obvious when she gets back to Barbie land. That's not how it works. And I've actually long said that I think that films that portray evil people, for example, as being these men in a dark suit stroking a white cat, that does more harm than good. It's never what evil looks like. It's never what evil looks like. We want evil to look that way, so it remains far, far away from us. Films that are truly revolutionary are sometimes astonishingly ordinary. That's what's so terrifying about them. We use ideology as a mask for our own insecurities. We know that we are all part of the patriarchy, men and women. And of course, the men are the ones who are mostly blind to it. And of course, women are the ones who suffer its consequences more. I'm not trying to reverse that or make it an all-humans thing. But women are participants in the patriarchy because we don't see it for what it is. In very subtle ways, we fall prey to its logic. We become pawns takes so much work, psychological, spiritual, intellectual work, to try to extricate ourselves from these parasitic relations to our broader society. It's hard to do that work, and it's so much easier to just preach an ideology instead, rather than show its messy, nuanced realities. Take a single marriage, even the most progressive marriage, and just follow them. Follow what unfolds you'll find so much more complexity and nuance than a Women's Studies 101 class. That's not to say that a Women's Studies 101 class is not incredibly helpful, but it's not the end-all and be-all. No ideology is, no philosophy is, no framework is. The goal of the artist is to bring us into direct contact with reality as free as possible from ideology. That's the goal of the artist. And when we are in direct contact with reality, we realize that reality can be otherwise.
the most transformative films I've ever seen, are films that leave me with this profound sense of having experienced something utterly new. The story can be the same, but there's a subtlety to the filmmaker that you know. They have hit on a meaning that has not yet been said. Something so subtle in the spaces between a conversation, in the lighting. They've done something where at the end of the film, in a dark theater, you're surrounded by a new kind of meaning. And it stays with you your entire life, not on the level of logic and ideas and ideology, but on the deepest level. That it actually widens your net of understanding. Without you seeing it, without you even being aware of it, every great work of art that has been fully digested in your life has made you a broader person capable of capturing and experiencing more of reality, including feeling more empathy towards those around you. But it's vulnerable and it's scary to make a work of art like that and to experience a work of art like that. Because there will be no easy answers, there will be no clear good guys and bad guys, it will be much more difficult to feed your egoic identifications with one or the other. And yet that is the path of freedom. I really believe this. The path of freedom is nuance. Unfreedom is seen only the most obvious set of options in our lives, the sets of options that we hear all the time in our culture, both conservative elements and liberal elements of our culture. There's this feeling of inevitability to our lives that often creeps in. That's from a lack of stories, a scarcity of good stories. If you can be brave enough to tell a good story, whoever you are, or to live a good story, then you will carve a whole new path for generations of people after you. That's possibility. That's freedom. Not seeing one side of the binary or the other side of the binary, but carving a place between. Not reversing patriarchal logic, because if you reverse patriarchal logic, you're still operating within that logic. It's a vicious cycle. You can't just reverse it. You can't just be jerks to men or dehumanize men. You're still locked in relation to that patriarchal mindset. The only way to free ourselves of patriarchy is to find another way of being that is radically different, that is not patriarchy, that is not matriarchy. We have to find something else. And that something else can be named with various frameworks and ideologies, but it can't be exhausted by it if it's something really living, really alive. We have to find a new way to to speak truth into being, like every work of art should, like each of our lives is made to do. So let's not be plastic. (laughs) Thanks for listening.